There's a story in the book of Second Chronicles about a young man named Uzziah. Now, things really started off well for Uzziah. He, was, he turned 16 and received the best birthday present any 16-year-old could ever get. In fact, um, all you teenagers out there, if you're already 16 or older or if you're under 16, um, compare your gift to the gift that Uzziah got, okay? And if it doesn't match up, talk to your parents. So are you ready? This 16-year-old received a whole country. Right? He became king. He became the man in charge. He, I mean, okay, teenagers, have you ever just thought, you know what, if I was running this house, it would go a lot better than what my parents do? No, okay, at least some of you are honest out there. So can you imagine being 16 years old and all of a sudden you are put in charge of a country? Yeah. Scary. King Uzziah reigned actually for 52 years. And the great thing about young King Uzziah is he set himself to seek after God and to listen to the voice of God through the prophet Jeremiah, Zechariah, I mean. And it says in Second Chronicles that as long as he sought the Lord, his God, he prospered. So King Uzziah became very strong. His fame spread throughout the land. He built towers. He had large herds of sheep and camels. He had large farms and vineyards. He had a great army. He had 2,600 men of mighty valor. I mean, when they talk about, in the Bible, it talks about men of mighty valor. I mean, these are men that would go off into battle and they fought hard and they won. They were courageous. He had an army of over 300,000 men and as far as the eye could see, his fame had spread. And it says this, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. Notice that. He was marvelously helped until he was strong. Talk about success. Then things changed. In chapter 26, verse 16 of Second Chronicles, it says this, But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. Pride got in the way. He did what he wasn't supposed to do. He thought that now... Everything that had happened was all about him. 
It was, he was the one that generated the success. He was the one that caused everything to get bigger. He forgot the fact that it was because he sought after God and that God helped him marvelously to become strong. And his pride got to him to such a point that he went into the temple and offered sacrifices and incense on his own, which was not the responsibility of the king. The only one to go in the temple to offer the incense and the sacrifice was the priests. But yet Uzziah thought, no. He elevated himself. The priest told him to stop, but he didn't. Uzziah got leprosy and eventually died of leprosy. This isn't unusual. This is a pattern that has been repeated throughout the course of history. Whether we're talking about people in general, like the business world, or whether we're talking about leaders within the church, you have a young leader, or sometimes even older leader, and they're seeking the Lord, and they are blessed by the Lord, and the ministry is expanded, and fame and strength happens because the Lord is blessing this young pastor, or pastor marvelously, that pastor becomes filled with pride and then destruction happens. This is what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. It's the indictment that Paul makes to the church of Corinth. You are arrogant. You are puffed up. Chapter 4, verse 6 in 1 Corinthians, Paul says this, Don't be puffed up. Don't favor one leader against the other. Don't think that you've got it all together on your own and that you don't need anybody. Arrogance blinded them from the truth. Arrogance blinded them from the reality of what was going on around them. And this morning, as we continue our journey through 1 Corinthians, we're going to look at a specific situation that Paul addresses where arrogance and pride gets in the way. Today, we're going to talk about pride and how it creates blind spots. Pride does a lot of things to it. It does cause destruction. But what I want us to see this morning, it does create blindness. And to help us get kind of a picture of what pride does, uh, I want to reference uh, in a different way horses and how, what happens or what we do with horses in order for, to help them in pulling a carriage. Well, what we know about horses is that they're prey animals and their eyes are more to the sides of their head. So each eye can see 180 degrees so they, they can 
actually see all the way around them, except for a little blind spot in the front of their nose or maybe in the back of their tail unless they turn their head. So what an owner of a horse will do when pulling a carriage is they'll put blinders on the horse so that the horse doesn't get distracted by everything going on around it. We even see blinders put on horses when they're running a race. Pride does the same thing, only in kind of a reverse from the standpoint of when I become filled with pride, blinders come on, so all I see is me, if my, it's my own pride, or all I see is the person or the object that I am elevating. That's what happens. It, it puts a blinder, so anything that's going on around me, whether good or bad, I don't see. Listen to these words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 13. You can open your Bible up to that or you can see the words on the screen. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 13. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically pre present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you who are assembled, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy and swindlers or adulterers. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slander, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. Wow, that seems pretty harsh, right? Expel the wicked person from among you? I mean, where's the grace, Paul? Where's the mercy? Where's the love? Expel this person? 
This morning we're going to look at how pride can blind us and how important it is for us to recognize the, that fact and to deal with it appropriately. Terry, could you hand me my water, please? First thing I want us to know this morning is that pride allows sin into the body. Chapter 4, verse 6. We saw, as we mentioned before, that Paul points out that the people in the church were all puffed up and arrogant about pitting one leader against the other. Yeah, the guy I follow is way better than the person you follow. That was the kind of thing that was going on. Apollo is best. No, no, Cephas is best. No, Paul is the best. People's eyes were on the leader and on, not on Christ. And Paul is saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Stop here. It's not about us as leaders. It's about God. The second thing I want us to know this morning is the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The body being the church. If you remember a few weeks ago, when we were talking about unity, we were looking at 1 Corinthians 3, verses 16 and 17, and I'm going to read these words again. If you remember, don't you all know that you all yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? Even if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. You all are the body. So pride allows sin into the body. You all are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so for Paul, he is most concerned about the body of Christ. That's what he's focused on. And if there is pride within the body, the pride needs to be removed. Because even a little bit of pride can impact the whole group. Because once we begin to turn our eyes off of Jesus, one of us does that and focuses on a person Others began to also focus on a person. And when we all focus on a person, we say, wow, if it isn't for that, wow, it's amazing what that person does. And because of what that person does, you begin to elevate them. And all of a sudden now, that person becomes more important than Jesus. So the question I want us to ask today is, where was the blind spot? We see in verse 1 that there's a man in the church who is sleeping with his father's wife. Most likely, it was the man's stepmother. And most likely, from the way it is written, it was a long-term relationship. And, of course, we see Paul in verse 2 says, And you are arrogant. You are all puffed up because you're allowing this man who is sleeping with his father's wife to continue to be in your church. So how does Paul address this 
pride. And what is this pride doing? Well, there are two things that we see that maybe could be addressed here. The first thing is that Paul is concerned about that they are cheapening the grace of God. This is definitely part of the issue. Paul says in like Romans 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And Paul says no. So that could be part of it. It could be the fact that there is someone who is still part of the body of Christ that is living in this sin and the church isn't doing anything about it. That they are saying, oh, we're responding with grace. We, we have to remember that Corinth was a very sexually immoral city. And so the fact that some of that sexual immorality came into the churches not even a surprise it most likely happened but is that part of the reason what Paul was concerned about yes part of it but for many commentators when they look at the context of the first four chapters of first Corinthians they wonder if there isn't another issue at play here and that is the dependency on man. What do I mean by this? Well, as we've already brought up, chapter 4, Paul was going after them because they were puffing up. They were arrogant about the different leaders, Apollo, Cephas, Paul. Many think that this person was a person of significance and great influence within the church, whether it was a leader or somebody of financial wealth or maybe even somebody who had some political clout in the community. They had a great impact on the church and no one was willing to call this person out for their sin because of the damage it could happen. This sound familiar? That's what we do. We focus so much on the influence of a person that we give them all kinds of leeway on the life they lead. Think about the leadership failures within the church over the last 10 years or 20 years or longer. Someone has lots of success and the church grows. People begin to think that that is the reason why our church growing. That person. There's no one in that leader's life to tell them when they are stepping out of line no one is able to correct them. No one dares to correct them. No one wants to correct them because what if they leave? Because if they leave, our church will suffer and it won't be as big. The people begin to worship the person rather than Jesus. We all know, or most of us know, Bill Hybels, who pastor of Willow Creek Church in Chicago. I was at a conference for pastors probably about five years ago, and 
he was one of the speakers, and he was up there, and it was more of a Q&A time with the pastor of the church that was leading the conference. And it was amazing because um, he had spent 40 years at Willow Creek, and it grew from a group of young adults meeting in a movie theater to a church that had global influence. And here he was on this stage, and it was like this sage sitting there, just words of wisdom, just coming out. I mean, and let me tell you, there was some really, really good stuff. I mean, the wisdom in this man was amazing, the experience. And then just a couple of years ago, allegations came out about mistreatment of some of the women on his staff. And then you find out that this information was brought up a number of years ago, but nobody did anything. Now, I'm not here to say whether he was guilty or not guilty, but my point is, here's a person who had global influence, and questions came up of his integrity, and nothing was done. So I, I wonder, I wonder, I mean, this, here you go, Church of Corinth, it's growing, things are happening. Could it be that this man was a man of influence, and people, in essence, turned a blind eye because they didn't want to disrupt anything. So whether the issue is cheap grace or a dependency on man, the issue for Paul and us is of great importance. Pride, arrogance, destroyed. So there's something I want us to know about this to take to heart, to hang on to. And the first the thing I want you to know is this. No human is too important. Not in any church. Not in any government position. No human is too important. Especially in the church. If you and I turn our eyes away from sin because we don't want to hurt the church, we are actually hurting the church. But you see the examples here are not just of pastors and leadership, it's also people within the church. There friend of mine's church many, many years ago, new pastor began to make changes. A group of people didn't like the church, so they stopped attending. They threatened to stop giving. They wanted to hire a new staff person over a different particular ministry. So it was time for the vote. All those people came back so they could vote no to get, you know, because they were frustrated and mad at the pastor and the leadership. 
confronted the church and said, if you don't change and go back the way we want it, we will leave. Thankfully for my friend and those in leadership at that point, they just said, leave. Even if it meant 40% of their income, gone. You see, even if we're not in a position of leadership, sometimes we think we are too big for ourselves. Sometimes we think, it's my way or the highway. That's pride, people. So, notice that we have issues of pride possibly in all places. It's not just a matter of pointing at, yeah, that person's filled with pride. It's us looking at ourselves. And we also have to remember that someone like a Bill Hybels, you, you have to know that when he started out 40 plus years ago, his passion was for unchurched people. His heart was right. He didn't go into this thinking, I'm going to mistreat women when I get my church big. He wasn't even thinking about a big church. He was thinking about unchurched people. But pride sneaks in. Arrogance sneaks in. So the question is, how do we respond? How do we handle these situations when they arise? Paul gives us the answer to this question right in verse 2 of chapter 5. And remember, this is, this is a response to pride. It's a response to arrogance. It's a response to people being puffed up. The first thing we, he, Paul tells the people to do is mourn. Mourn. Weep. Weep because this is the body of Christ. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And something so contrary to the Holy Spirit has gotten into the body. Arrogance. The body is about humility and love and compassion and kindness and gentleness. Not about boasting and pride and arrogance. So mourn and weep. Get on your knees before the Lord and cry out and confess and repent and say, God, forgive us for putting our blinders up and allowing pride to get in. Notice that the first thing Paul tells them to do is, in my interpretation, get on their own knees before the Lord and mourn. This is important because I need to be in a right place before the Lord before I do step number two. second thing Paul tells the church to do, remove the person. More specifically, deliver this man to Satan 
what? Hand him over. This is kind of the same thing that Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy. So this is not anything out of the ordinary for Paul. In 1 Timothy 1, 19-20, he says, Hand the two men over to Satan to be taught not to, be, to blaspheme. Could it be that God uses Satan to do some of the work that needs to be done in our lives? What about Paul's messenger from Satan? The thorn in his flesh. Paul, Paul learned the sufficiency of God's grace because of the thorn in his flesh. Because of the messenger of Satan. So hand them over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh so that his spirit might be saved. This is chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. We're coming into play here where Paul says, grow up, stop being babies. Who are babies? Babies who are filled with pride and arrogance. People who focus on the natural, on the flesh. This is chapter 2 coming into play where Paul says it's the spiritual person that is able to judge all things. Not the person of the flesh or the natural person. Hand them over to Satan so that the flesh can be destroyed, so that the spiritual person can come out and they can see that they have been arrogant and filled with pride. Chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says that he doesn't come to them with lofty speech or wisdom, pride and arrogance. He comes in a demonstration of the Spirit and in power. Why? So people will put their trust in God and not in man. So in conclusion this morning, My question to you is, who are you elevating? Are you elevating yourself? Are you elevating somebody else? Or are you elevating Jesus? Second question I have for you this morning is, how have you been blinded by pride? What, what sin is in my life? This is where Psalms 139 comes into play as a prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me in the path of righteousness. Here's a tougher question. Is there sin in somebody else, else's life that I see? And what does God want me to do about it? Now, before you run off and do something, remember the order that Paul gave his instruction. First, mourn. 
Cry out to the Lord. Get on your knees and mourn for that person because they have been entrapped by sin's tanglement. And that's an easy thing to do. We all get caught in that. So get on your knees and mourn and cry out to the Lord and pray that God would give you just uh, courage and words and direction as you move into that relationship with that person. And then, you know, let's remember Matthew 18 where how we talk to somebody. We go in love and we confront them. And then we let them go. You just got to let them go. This is the rich young ruler. Remember, Jesus confronted him about the one thing. The one thing that he had to do. The rich young ruler walked away. We don't know whether he ever gave it all up, but he walked away from Jesus. And Jesus didn't go running after him, begging him to stay. He let him go. This is the prodigal son. The prodigal son, he says, Dad, I wanted all my inheritance. Talk about pride and arrogance, right? And what did the father do? He gave it to him and let him go. I think the father knew that his son would spend it all. And I think the father knew that someday he'd come back. And when he came back, he loved him. He threw a party. And, and we, church, we need to figure that out. One, we need to figure out how to deal with our pride in our own life. But the other thing is, we have to figure out how to deal with sin within the body because we, as a group, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Together. And a little leaven infects the whole lump of dough. Let's pray. Mm, Father, we... Some of this stuff being in your kingdom is hard. Whether it's seeing the sin that's in our own life or knowing that sometimes we need to have the hard conversations with those around us. Help us to do that with love and grace and mercy. knowing that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, that you have already died on the cross for our sins and the sins of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, I'm going to ask the communion servers to come forward as we take communion. And I just remind you as you come to the table today, come asking the Spirit to seek your heart, to test your thoughts, to see if there's any wicked way in you, and then deal with that with Him. Leave it at the altar. Come in humility because our Savior, Jesus Christ, stepped down from His throne and came in humility to us. This place is a place of celebration, a place of joy because of
the forgiveness of the Father. Pride infixes all at some times. But Jesus comes in humility and says, hey, that's okay. I forgive you. We do have this week some gluten-free options. Um, and so if you just let those who are serving communion that you would like a gluten-free option, um, they will hand that to you. But as we remember the night before Christ's death, he stood at the table with his disciples. And he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat all of it. And then he said, this is my blood that was shed for you. This is the new covenant that's in my blood, the covenant of grace, the covenant of love and mercy. Drink all of it and remember me until I come again. So people, share in the grace and the love of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.